right, so here we are, Christmas season, huh? And uh, as we kind of just consider this season, we always just think about the incarnation or God, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us, that, that, that basically that uh, we understand that God became a human being. And the reason that God became a human being is because there was a human issue that had to be dealt with. It was the issue of sin. And, and, and so God had came as a human being to live a perfect life that he might substitute that perfect life for yours and my imperfect lives and, and, and our imperfect lives. He, he, he comes as a substitute uh, for us, and he's entered into time, space, and history. He's a God who's made himself known. He's, he's not a God who's, who's left himself out in the nebulous, out in the mysterious, just kind of out there at this split spot where we kind of understand some concepts of him, but we can't really get it. No, this God entered into time, space, and history. He burst in to save us, to, to make a way for us where really there, there really was no way. And so we, we think about this a lot of times, and we just think about this manger scene, right? And we think this time of year, we remember in particular that God came to earth, and what he did was, in becoming a man, he added humanity to his divinity. He was always divine. He was always God. He has always existed, but yet he entered into time, space, and history as a human being, adding humanity to his deity and we celebrate this season. We celebrate December 25th, which likely isn't Jesus' birthday. I hope that that's not crushing anybody here tonight. But there are a number of misnomers about the whole season uh, that we tend to just kind of look at. And, and, and you know, like, like even your nativity scene, you know, with the, with the wise men. Actually, sorry, it's just not biblical. They weren't there. It took them a long time to get there. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus was a Pideon or a toddler by the time they basically got there. So it took them months to actually get there. So now you need to go home and take your wise men and you need to put them on the other side of the house <laughs> like they're on the journey over that way. So, yeah. But anyway, and there weren't, we, we, we don't know how many there were. We say there were three only because there were three gifts and some of those kinds of things. But I, I want to look at this, and, and, and we want to look at this idea of, of for this purpose. Like, why is it that Jesus, why has God done this? And, and again, we've, we've talked about this idea that, that it's because of, of sin that he's done this. But I want to take us to John chapter 18. So if you want to turn your Bible on, open a Bible. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you. We want to look at John chapter 18, verse 33 is where we're going to begin. And I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to kind of go back through and think about this and, and, and kind of look at some things. So verse 33, chapter 18, the book of John, the gospel of John. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. 
Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Wow, what an amazing uh, just little uh, interaction we see here. And, and, and there's just so much nuance in here and so much uh, different things. For one thing, there's a lot of talk about kings and kingdoms. Matter of fact, for the Jewish people, uh, really, the, they knew almost no other type of governance. The, the Romans had a little different kind of a system for sure, but, but their history and everything that they had known and everything about the, the, the people around them basically had to do with kings and kingdoms. And so in a kingdom, and with a king, the king is sovereign. He is sovereign. What the king says goes. And that's it. And the king has absolute authority within his kingdom. Kingdoms need to have citizens. And the obligation of the citizen is loyalty to the king. That would be called righteousness. To be in right standing with the king is equal to righteousness. Righteousness is not always, uh, we, we, we think of righteousness and many times we think of perfection and we, we certainly could think of it in those terms, but, but when, when God proclaims like some of his people to be righteous like Job, God is never saying that Job was perfect. What he was saying is that Job is in really right standing with me, that, that, that Job is, is in right standing with me. Um, and, and, and so for the, the citizens... This righteousness is, is, is necessary, and the benefits of the kingdom are given basically according to uh, this righteousness. Citizenry is also a privilege. It's not a right. The territory, there is a territory in a kingdom. It's the domain of that kingdom. And then the territory, people, and all the things in it rightly belong to the king. And sometimes those kings, well, always, always a king is also a lord. But lords are not always kings. We take kind of a little bit of that idea of, of some of this stuff with us as we talk about somebody being our landlord, right? It's somebody who has some ownership and some rights to something, and they're over us. So every king is a lord, but not all lords are kings. But Jesus is described as being the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So he's the one who, who holds all authority, all power over all things. There's a constitution. There's a, there's a means of understanding. There's a covenant even in a kingdom. And, and, and the covenant or the, the constitution is the king's written governing laws. Uh, their rights and privileges for his people. The Bible contains the, the constitution of the kingdom of God, which details for us his will for us and his mind for the citizens of his kingdom. Within a kingdom, there's law. There's a necessity for law. And law constitutes the standards and the principles established by the king himself, by which his kingdom will function and be administered. Uh, the laws of the kingdom are the ways by which one is guaranteed access to the benefits of the king and the kingdom. 
There are ethics within a kingdom. And this code includes moral standards, social relationships, personal conduct, attitude, attire, and manner of life. There are armies and kingdoms. And if you're in a kingdom, the army is the means of securing its territory and protecting its citizens. In a kingdom, the citizens actually aren't called to fight. They are protected by the army of that kingdom. And this is why in the kingdom of God, the angels are called the heavenly host, because they're the army of God. There's culture within kingdoms, and that's the environment that's created by the life and the manners of the king and his citizens. This is the cultural aspect that separates and distinguishes the kingdom from all others around it. It is the culture that expresses the nature of the king through the lifestyle of the citizens of that kingdom. And kingdoms can be commonwealths, and that's an economic system of wealth which guarantees each citizen equal access to financial security. In a kingdom, the term commonwealth is used because the king's desire is that all of his citizens share and benefit from the wealth of the kingdom. The kingdom's glory is in the prosperity and the health of its citizens. So kingdom is a reflection of the king. You have a good king, you end up with a good kingdom. You have bad leadership or a bad king, you end up with a bad kingdom. Jesus is telling us that he has a kingdom, and in a sense, he's, he's, he's saying, look, uh, he's asking Pilate, what do you say about me? It's that same question that he asked Peter, who, do, who, do, who does everyone say that I am? And Peter says, well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this, but, but who do you say that I am? See, this gets really personal in this idea of, of, of who is Jesus? Because we can know a lot of things about Jesus, we can understand things about him, we can think about him as a child being born into this universe, but who is he, really? And, and, and to be honest with you, you know, most scholars these days, even scholars that aren't Christians, don't argue the point that Jesus existed. There's far too much evidence that Jesus existed, even bi- bi- both biblically and extra-biblically, that, that just really say he really was a guy. He really lived. Like we talked about in Nehemiah with the list, the, 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 the Bible is a historical book, and Pilate was really the prefect over Jerusalem at the time that Jesus is undergoing. This is historical fact. This is really happening. Jesus is a, histor- a historical person, but at the end of the day, who do we say that he is? Is he just a good guy? Is he just a teacher? Is he just a rabbi? Is he a prophet? Or is he who he said he is? Is he God in humanity? So he, Jesus asked this, this question to Pilate. He says, you know, uh, Pilate says, so you're the king of the Jews, huh? And remember now, there, there, there's a conflict now because, because there is a, a, an issue of authority here. See, and Rome really isn't going to tolerate any other kingdom or king or authority that, that would threaten their rule in any way. They, were gonna, they would squash this. And so, so Jesus is approached by Pilate, and Pilate says, look, are you, are you a king? And Jesus asked him this question. Did you just hear other people say this about me, or, or are you saying this? Are you acknowledging, are you saying that I'm king, or did you just hear about this from other people? It always gets personal in this thing. 
in this walk and in this journey, you see, only you can have a relationship with this king. You, you can't just have heard about him. It can't just be your, your parents' faith. You can't have really statements that just say things like, well, you know, I've always been a Christian. Well, nobody's always been a Christian. You see, because you weren't born a Christian. You may have been born into a family that has Christian values and that attended church. You may have been born into a family of believers, but that doesn't predicate that you still need your own personal relationship, you see, because that's what this is. It's a relationship, and relationship always demands that two people, if it's going to be a love relationship, two people must stand up and say yes. God on his end has said yes, and he awaits our answer. And so, so Jesus is in this interesting position because Jesus holds all authority. When he's king, he's king over it all. He owns the earth and all that it contains. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says, right? It's all his. And think about this. Now, now this is a picture that God, the creator of all things, is now subjecting himself in this whole thing to his creation. He's not lording over it. He's not demanding over it. He's actually becoming, he's, he's in subjection to it. He's offering himself back to it. And now him and, and, and Pilate have this interesting exchange. And he tells Pilate, he says, look, in a way, he says, look, I'm a king and I have a kingdom. But my kingdom's different. It's, it's not the same as this kingdom that you're running right here and where you're at. My kingdom is not the same as the kingdom of this world. It's, it's a different kind of a kingdom. As a matter of fact, if I was in the same economy as you, if I was in the same kingdom as you, if I was operating under the same set of rules and circumstances, we'd be fighting right now. That's where this would be because we would be in that kind of a power struggle. But you see, you can never be in a real power struggle with God because God always still holds all power. Sometimes we think about it, I've, I've talked about this, I've probably said this before, but, but it's this idea, see, you can't break God's law. You can push up against God's laws and suffer the circumstances of doing so, but you cannot break his law. The same way as you can't break the laws of the universe. You can't break them. You and I have probably pushed up really hard against laws like gravity at times, but when we do that, we generally lose that battle. We don't break the law of gravity. We push up against gravity and then suffer the consequences of not respecting gravity. And, and, and so Jesus is saying, look, I have a kingdom, but my kingdom is very different from this. It's different from yours. It doesn't operate by the same standards as yours. It doesn't have the same rules as yours. It doesn't look the same way that yours does. It doesn't operate in the same way that you're operating. And Jesus says, so, so then Pilate says, so, so then you are a king. And Jesus says, look, you said it. You said that I'm a king. And for this very purpose, I've come into the world. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says to him, what is truth? What an amazing question, you see. And people are doing this every day still. The culture around us is doing this every day still. You see, Pilate stands in the very presence of the truth. See, Jesus isn't here to just tell you about truth, right? Tim Keller says, this isn't good advice that we're getting. This is good news. 
And good advice is different from good news. You see, Christianity isn't just this thing where, where we're being told how to be good people, how to live better, and how to be nicer to everybody and things like that. No, no, Christianity, Christianity is fundamentally about you're dead and you need to be brought back to life. It's about being resuscitated. It's, it's about being dead and lost and broken. It's not just about being good people. It's not just good life advice. It's good news. It's about what's already been done for you and I. And the question now is how will we approach this truth in our own lives? Will we be like Pilate? Will we just be like, well, what is truth? See, we live in a culture right now that has, has went that way of, of like, well, there is no real truth. Your truth is your truth, and your truth is your truth, and, and, and this truth over here is this truth. And, and at the end of the day, it's all fine, and it's all true. But that's not true. That cannot be true. It cannot logically be true. You cannot have ideas that, 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 that are, are contrasting to one another and have them somehow both come in. See, at the end of the day, somebody's going to be wrong in this. Somebody's going to be wrong. The truth will prevail. And Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus doesn't come to tell us about the truth. He comes to tell us and challenge us with that he is foundationally, fundamentally the truth. And that whenever we look at this and we begin to understand that this is the reason that he came into the world is to bear witness, to be king, to be crowned king, and, and to bear witness to what's really true versus the deceptions that we're living in in the world today. Now, look at this. What we see next is it says, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews, told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So there's a custom, evidently, and Pilate says that he, he has this custom of being a very gracious leader. And, and so with this major holiday, this major holiday here, the Passover, he's going to release a prisoner to the Jewish people. And he comes out and he says, which one do you want? Do you want Jesus to be released to you? Or do you want Barabbas? Now, now think of this. We've got to understand the nuance and, and kind of the, the, the conflict that's going on here again, just as it was. See, see, Pilate is a guy who has authority in the realm and in the world and the kingdom that he's living in. He's talking to someone who actually has authority over him in all realms and all things, but he's not recognizing this. And Jesus, instead of being, you know, Pilate is living a very glamorous, amazing lifestyle with all kinds of wealth and all kinds of amazing, and Jesus is living a very different lifestyle. It's this contrast of, of what these kingdoms look like and what the value within these kingdoms, what kind of things are valued within the kingdom. And so now you've got this picture where Jesus is being offered, we want me to let Jesus go or Barabbas. And it's an interesting thing because Jesus is the only begotten son of God. He's the son of the father. Barabbas 
Bar means son of Abba, son of the Father. Which is it going to be? Who's going to be released? Jesus, who's done nothing, who's just went around and who has helped people, who has healed people, who has counseled people, who has just, you know, who's done nothing wrong, period, or Barabbas. This guy over here who's a robber, he's a murderer, so, you know, I don't know what all he had done, but, but, he, but he's, in, he's in bad standing with, with, the, with, with Pilate and with the Roman government, and, and he stands, he's, he's up for the death sentence, crucifixion, and, and, and I'll remind us again that crucifixion is the worst form of capital punishment the Romans had. We get the word excruciate out of crucify. It was all about incredibly long, drawn out, a painful death that, that took away your dignity. It demoralized you. It was, it was just this awful way of dying. If you're a Roman citizen, they would not even uh, crucify you. They would have other forms of capital punishment. But Barabbas and Jesus are up for this, and he says, which one do you want me to release to you? And everyone yells out, Barabbas. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. And, and for us and for the way that we live and think and our, our, our system of, of, uh, of right and wrong and, and justice is, is challenged in this, but you see, this is the way it has to be. It has to be this way because you and I are Barabbas. We're Barabbas. And, and so Jesus has to take the place of Barabbas in this so that he can be free, so that you and I can be free. You see, God had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that the Father, he treat, the father treated Jesus like Barabbas in what Barabbas deserved so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. And this is where we sit. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what has been done for us, that where you and I were guilty and really deserved that death penalty, Jesus has stepped in and he's taken that place for us. He's become the, the sacrifice so that Barabbas could go free, so that you and I could go free, so that justice would be fulfilled because there's a need for justice to be fulfilled. See, Barabbas didn't really get off scot-free. His debt got paid for him. The same way as if like you, if you went in and if you owed a big speeding ticket or something, I could go into the courthouse and I could, I could pay that debt for you and you would be scot-free off of it even though you were still guilty of it. Justice would have been met. The requirements would have been met so that freedom could be had. And this is the picture. This is the gospel. And this is why the son of the father gives himself for the Son of the Father so that we can be free. Again, it's a king. It's a different king. It's a different look at a king, and it's a different kingdom. This king is becoming a subject. He's subjecting himself to his creation. We see next that he's crowned with thorns. A purple robe is put on him, and he's scourged, right? He's very scourged and then put under these things. His crown of thorns, he's, he's crowned, he's mocked. Everyone begins to just mock this king. 
And you see, it's, it, it, it's the way that it has to go. But, but, but in Hebrews, it says that, that forsaking, for the joy set before him, he forsook the shame of the cross. And I'll hold again that the joy set before him, as we speak about joy this week, was you. It was those who would come. That was Jesus' motivation to get him through the, the cross, the shame that, that the cross brought. And they just mocked him. And they put this king in a crown of thorns and a purple, which represents royalty, robe. And ultimately, he dies on a cross for you and I. And then he's presented with another guy who has no authority, who has no rights, who everything has been taken from him. And he's on the cross next to Jesus, but he recognizes somehow that this is a king with a kingdom. And he makes a request and he says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Will you just remember me? Will you even just think? Could I just even be a thought when you go into that kingdom, that real kingdom, the, the kingdom that, that you're talking about, the kingdom that you're the king over? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth today, you'll be with me in paradise. See, this guy, he didn't get to go do it all over again, did he? He didn't get baptized. He didn't get to go make amends for all the wrongs he had done. He had nothing he could do at that moment but just ask this king to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And he says, I'll do you one better. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. See, and this is the good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. It's what's already been done for you and I. It's, it's what's been done. It's what's been accomplished. And now the question as we, as we are f- faced with the truth of this is, is how will we respond? Is he king or is he not king? Are you going to stay on the throne of your heart or are you going to get off of it and allow him to sit? It's, 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 the, it's the struggle that we're in. Are you going to be God of your own life or, 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 or are you going to move into relationship with the one who created you? Are, are you going to let him be God? Are you going to let him be king? See, because the problem that the Bible lays out for us is that we all have a deep desire to be that king ourselves, to be in control, to be God ultimately, right? It was the deception in the garden. You too can be like God. You won't need God. You can be God. You can determine for yourselves what's right and wrong. You don't need a a, a king or his constitution or his covenant or his ideas or his law or his ethics or any of those kinds of things. You can be a people who determine that all for yourselves. And I think as we look out, well, we don't even have to look out. We can look inside and we can see how we're not doing that in the way that we've been called to do that as the church. And we certainly can look into a world and we can see the confusion that the lack of truth, uh, uh, when, when people cannot, uh, when we can't get in and anchor up to a place of truth, we're left in a, in a really precarious spot and that's just to argue our own thoughts and our own feelings against one another. See, there has to be something outside of us that subjectively says, no, this is true. And I'll say again, you see, truth doesn't bow to belief. doesn't matter what you believe. The truth is the same. The truth always stays the same. 
It doesn't change. Belief changes nothing about truth. Belief or truth does not bow to belief. Belief must bow to what's true. And so we're left. We're, we're left there. And, and, and you know what? If we were left there, to be honest with you, if we were left right here at this point where we're talking about it would be done, it would be over with, and it would have faded off into obscurity like every other Messiah that claimed to be God or the Messiah that the Jews were waiting that were happening within the decades and all of that both before Jesus came and after he left. But something happened, and that something changed the world. That something was the resurrection of Jesus. That three days later, he didn't stay dead. And what does that mean for us? Well, that means that you and I don't have to live in the shadow of death anymore. We don't have to live fearful of death. We don't have to live our lives thinking that we have to somehow appease a God or, or just be really good people or, or really get this all figured out just right or, or, or go and unbalance or balance out the scales of where I've done wrong. Now I've got to do enough right to get these things to, to balance. No, you can put all of that away and you can understand that it's good news. It's what's been done. News is what's been reported of what's already been accomplished. It's not about what you're doing now. It's not what you've done in the past. It's, it's not how good you are. It's not about how bad you've been either. See, this is open to everyone. The Bible makes it clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That when it comes to good people, there just aren't any when we get right down to it. And that God has placed us all in this place of sin so that he might be merciful to everyone. You see, otherwise, we would be in this competition of who's the best, who's the greatest, who's the best, who's doing this well, who, who's going to be in the 51% on up that do it right enough to get there. It's not the economy. It's the economy of this world. It's how we think this ought to go sometimes. But the big question is, are you going to put down how you think this ought to go, and are you going to allow yourself to live and to believe under the authority of what this says? He's a king. He's a risen king. He's alive. He's not dead. You can go to the grave of almost every major religious leader around, but you're not going to find his grave. Why? Because he rose. He rose again as proof to you and I that death is not the final thing. It's not the end of the story. It's not the final chapter. It's just the transition into what comes next. And if you're in Christ, you have a glorious and amazing future. And if you've never done that, this is what you need. This is the one issue. This is the one thing that you need before you leave here is a relationship with Jesus. You don't need anything else. You don't need healed of anything. You don't need that, 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 big, that bigger house, that more amazing thing. No, the one thing that you and I need, the thing that is going to matter for all eternity is what we did with Jesus. Did you crown him king? Did we just doubt? Did we call him a good teacher, just a prophet, or, a, or, or somebody who's, who's got some nice advice for us? Or do we recognize the good news, the good thing that's been done for us? And that is why we celebrate this baby's arrival, this perfect life that was lived in our stead, 
to be substituted for you and I. That is the sole purpose of his life was to die. To die for you and me, to, uh, to make a substitutionary atonement for our lives so that you and I would not perish but would have eternal life. Amen? Amen. All right, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you came, that you didn't stay far off. You didn't stay nebulous. You didn't stay something that we just had to guess at or try to somehow comprehend something beyond our comprehension. You didn't just bring us some, some good thoughts, some, some happy advice. You came and did the impossible. You, you were the one who holds all authority. You subjected yourself to your creation. You allowed yourself to die so that that perfect life that you lived could be separated or could be, could, be, uh, could be given on our behalf so that we might have the righteousness of Christ. You took our sin. And the Bible says that when you, take, when you took it, that you buried it at the bottom of the ocean. You said it is finished, and you chose to remember it no more, that you've separated it as far as the east is from the west, and that you've offered us eternal life. We thank you. We're grateful. And I pray over anybody here today who hasn't made that decision, who hasn't trusted you as king, who hasn't made you the authority, who's still living in, in trying to perform well or, or, or just trying to be good or be better or just have more good marks than bad marks in their life. I pray that, that they would be rescued out of that and they would live in the, in the peace and the serenity of, of the gospel, of the good news, that uh, all they have to do is say yes to a relationship to you, to know who you are and then to enter in and to commit, to, to admit, admit the reality of our sinfulness to believe that you've done what you've said you, you've done and to believe that you are who you've said you are, that you died on the cross, that you're the creator of the universe. You died on the cross and you did that to bring us to eternal life. And then we commit ourselves to follow you, to live for you day in and day out. And the Bible says that when we've done those things in this authenticity of our heart, that we are saved and that we belong to you and that you promise to carry us to heaven with you, to remember us in your kingdom where it really matters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.